Good morning uh, to all of you. I'm Paula Dobriansky. I'm on the board of the Atlantic Council and on its executive committee. And uh, we've had a uh, vigorous uh, and dynamic morning. This particular panel will, uh, in fact, be focusing on what does Ukraine's economic recovery look like. And we really have a, a terrific panel. We're going to hear from each of them. And let me say just a few brief words of introduction about them. I'll pose some questions to them. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in back and forth with, with you and with your questions. Uh, we'll first be hearing in the queue from Mr. Ron Van Ruden uh, on the end there, Mission Chief for Ukraine at the International Monetary Fund. And after him, we will be hearing from Ms. Caroline Vichini, uh, who is the Minister, Deputy Head of Delegation of the Delegation of the European Union. And she happens to be charged d'affaires at this particular time. And then we'll hear from Dr. Anders Aslan, who all of you know is a senior fellow at the Dinu Patricio Eurasia Center and someone who has spent a long time working on uh, Ukraine's economy. So let me go first, uh, Ron, if I may, uh, to you with the first question. Let's take the question of the panel, which yeah. is, you know, what do you see as the future of uh, the Ukrainian economy? Yeah. Let's yeah. start there. Okay, Paula, uh, thank you very much. Uh, there was already a little bit of a discussion at the end of the, the previous, uh, previous panel, uh, including with some questions regarding the IMF. Um, and Alexander summed it up. Oh, am I on? Is it working? <laughs> can, every, can everyone hear him, by the way, at the back? Yes? Okay, yes, they have thumbs up. Up, and does it work, or? Oh, so a few people said if you put the volume up just a little bit, but go, go ahead, yeah, Ron. Yeah, um, But what we, what we are seeing essentially is, is um, that the worst of the economic crisis seem to be, uh, seems to be behind us. Um, the Ukrainian economy comes from a very deep recession in, in the last two, three years. Um, thanks, thanks to very uh, sound macroeconomic policies uh, implemented by the government, we see that the economic growth is, is gradually returning. Uh, we also see that, that the very high level of inflation that we have seen, uh, up to as much as 60%, is being brought down, uh, currently at a level of around 10%. Um, so the economy is, is, is stabilizing and is, and is starting to grow. Um, now we're projecting for this year that the economy is growing by about 1.5%. Uh, and we are expecting that the economy will pick up a little bit of speed to 2.5% next year. Now, the, question, the big question is, 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 is this enough? And, and where is the economy headed? Um, we did a comparison uh, looking at per capita GDP in Ukraine when you compare it to uh, the average in the, in the European Union and, and compare it also to other countries in, in Central and Eastern Europe. And there we see that, that uh, per capita GDP in Ukraine, purchasing power parity, is, is about at the level of 20% of of, of the average level of per capita GDP in the, in the European Union. And if you compare that with, with countries like uh, Poland or, or Romania or Hungary, which are currently at a level of about 60, 70, some even Poland at 80% at of, of the EU average. Uh, and so in that sense, Ukraine has, has a long way to go in, in catching up. 
And, and so with a growth rate of, of 1.5% this year, 2.5% uh, next year, I mean, that's, that's, that's not enough to catch up. I mean, so the pace of economic growth needs to be substantially accelerated. Uh, and, and what do you need to do for that? And I think there, the pace, the pace of the recovery, I mean, the recovery that we fortunately uh, start, start seeing, depends very much on, on, on the determination and on, on the pace of implementing structural reforms. Where the authorities have, have made a start over the last uh, two, three years, uh, supported also very, very broadly by the uh, international community. Uh, but there is still much more that, that needs to be done. Uh, and particularly, um, also if we look at indicators, I mean, uh, one, one of the key measures that, that, uh, that was implemented at the start uh, at, at, uh, during, during the crisis uh, was that the central bank um, departed from its previous policies of, of having a fixed exchange rate. And so they let, they let the exchange rate float. And if we look at, at, at where Ukraine stands at the moment in terms of, of, of competitiveness, labor competitiveness, we see that, that due to the very sharp depreciation that happened, that Ukraine pretty much I mean, regained a lot of its, its, its competitiveness. And if we look at labor productivity and how that relates to the level of the exchange rate, we think that, that, that the exchange rate is, is more or less uh, currently at an appropriate level and we actually see some, some, some room for some real appreciation. But we also see that, that labor productivity, if we compare that to other countries, again, in, in, in Central and Eastern Europe, is, is also pretty, pretty low. Um, and, and, and that begs the question, why, why is that? Uh, and again, if we make a comparison to other countries in the region, what we see is that, that uh, private investment also has been, has been, has been quite low. Uh, and, and there, obviously, we come, we come to, to the big issue of, 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 of the investment climate uh, in, in, in Ukraine. Um, again, I mean, the, the large backlog in, in structural reforms, uh, the, the, the still very much incomplete transition to a full-fledged fledged market economy, that, that is only still, still beginning, and, and as I said before, still with a, with a, with a long way to go. Uh, part of this uh, uh, is, is, is also the issue of corruption, um, where, where again, where the authorities have started to make progress by, by putting in place new institutions uh, to address corruption. But again, there, I mean, this is, this is only the beginning. More needs to be done um, to, make, to make Ukraine a more attractive place to invest for, for businesses, uh, both domestic but also international, FDI. Uh, has been has been very very low, um, so the country needs to attract more investment to grow faster. Um, some 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 numbers. Um, again, I said I mean the per capita GDP is at about a level of 20% uh, of of the EU average. Um, if if you were to assume that that uh, as we see over the coming years, Ukraine is is. Uh, the, the rate of economic growth is picking up to hopefully something like four or five percent if they if they do implement the structural reforms. If we uh, currently project that that the the average growth rate in in central and in Eastern Europe is going to be projected at the moment for of about one and a half two percent of uh, two and one and a half two percent per year. 
for that, I mean, everything else being equal, Ukraine would need about this, this higher level of growth for about 30, 40, 40 plus years to be able to catch up I mean, with the rest of, of, of Central and Eastern Europe. And, and so there, I mean, again, we, we say it's, it's of paramount importance that they, uh, that they move faster uh, with implementing structural reforms <coughs> to get this faster pace of economic growth and, and, uh, and also more inclusive economic growth. So, but let so, me, so let me just pin you down just a little bit in your assessment because yeah. you've mentioned some of the positive things that have happened. But on the other hand, what I'm hearing you say, you're expressing skepticism because the pace of reforms have been slow and that there are sectors that maybe haven't uh, seen uh, certain types of structural reforms as you've made. Is that, so how would you really define, you know, the future of the Ukrainian yeah, no, economy? It, it, it's, I mean, indeed, I mean, if we, if we look back what, what, what the authorities have achieved and, and, and there, I mean, I need to emphasize it, it's, it's no small feat what they, what they have realized. I mean, they come from, from a very, deep economic recession. Um, at, at, at the end of 2013, early 2014, we were looking at, at a current account deficit of 9% of GDP. Um, uh, fiscal deficit, uh, if you include the, the, the energy sector of 10% of, of, of GDP. And these, these both have been reduced over the last two or three years uh, to, to, I mean, not close to, uh, close to balance, but, but a current account deficit of about 2% this year, 2% of GDP this year. And we project about two and a half, the, the, the fiscal deficit, including the energy to come about at uh, two and a half percent of GDP by the end of this year. So this is an enormous, tremendous, dramatic uh, reduction in these, these imbalances. I mean, and, and for that, they did deserve, deserve a lot of credit. Um, starting, starting reforms, um, um, the increase in the, the uh, energy tariffs, the gas and heating tariffs to, to market levels, I mean, has been a major, major step. Um, addressing, addressing corruption, they've put in place uh, NABU, the, the, the Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine. Uh, appointed and put in place uh, independent anti-corruption prosecutors. Recently, we have seen the launch and implementation of, of the electronic uh, asset declaration system uh, that, that was, despite attempts to, to undermine it, that was successfully implemented and that, that, that brought a lot out, out in the open. Um, and, and so a lot, a lot has, has started, but it needs to continue. And I think there also what we, what we have seen in, in, in Ukraine's uh, history is, is, is a, a series of, of repeated crises, economic crises. And, and the country has always been good in doing what it needs to do to come out of the crisis. But then to sustain that reform momentum in the past has, has, has been more of a, of, of a challenge. Now, now, fortunately, what we see, I mean, the current government, I mean, the previous government and the current government, they continue with this, with this process of, of, of the reforms. And so they are, they are committed to, to continue with the reforms. But, but yes, it does, does need to go faster. Um, take, take, for example, an, uh, an area of, of uh, state-owned enterprises. Uh, Ukraine has a very large, uh, still, uh, state-owned enterprise sector. Uh, some of them working, some of them basically defunct. Uh, that needs to be dealt with. Um, the, the government tried to sell uh, the first large state-owned company uh, earlier this month, uh, the Odessa port site plant. 
that that failed. That was the second time that this this tender failed, uh, and and this was only the first company out of a universe of of, of close to 3,000 state-owned enterprises, uh, half of which are essentially basically dead, and and but the other 1,500 needs to be uh, sold uh, in 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 one way or another. Um, so yes, uh, a lot to be do uh, to to be done, and it, and it needs to be accelerated. Let me ask you one more question before I go to Caroline. Um, the IMF didn't continue with funding, as you know, for this round. So mm -hmm. given the picture that you've just given us, why? Why is um, it? it it's, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the IMF uh, has not continued to give uh, funding. We actually completed the review, I mean, after a delay, admittedly, but we completed the review in, in, in September. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier this morning, the, the IMF program is worth uh, about $17 billion, of which we now have disbursed uh, more than $7 billion in, in, the, in, in the last year and a half. Um, so we've, we've provided substantial funding, I would say, to, to Ukraine. Uh, now, the timing of, of when we complete reviews, um, it's it's not surprising that there are delays. I mean, uh, some of the things that we ask for are are, are difficult. Um, the, the 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 previous review took a year to complete, but there was also a change in government in in the, in the meantime, which which delayed the process. Um, so so we um, we had a mission. We were in Kiev in, in in November. We had very productive discussions with the with with, with the government. Um, and we made a lot of progress during that mission. Still, we have a number of outstanding issues that we, that we need to resolve, and then we hope to resolve those uh, soon. All right, I'm gonna come back to you a little bit more on that, but I wanna go to Caroline. Caroline, give us your perspective from the EU, how you see the state of Ukraine's economic reforms. Do you see it the same way uh, as uh, uh, Ron has presented, or differently? No, certainly we are we are um, on the same lines as, as the IMF. Um, uh, we are commending the, the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people for what has been achieved uh, during these last years. Um, it's it's maybe not enough publicized what what has actually been achieved because it's it's a very broad based um, uh, uh, effort by by the Ukrainians. And um, uh, it should probably be more publicized both abroad and, and also inside uh, Ukraine so uh, the, the people can see what, what is actually happening. What we shouldn't uh, forget and what hasn't been touched upon, this is happening uh, while there is um, actually a civil war going on inside the country. So there is a, a conflict inside the country that is, of course, draining um, uh, both the government uh, and, and the... So, uh, and the people of, of energy, uh, political energy and, and, and also money, because there is a lot of displaced people um, in, uh, in, in the country which live under, under quite difficult uh, conditions. And um, there is a constant undermining of, of, of the Ukrainian um, borders, independence, and, and, uh, and, and thereby also, also the economy. So it's, it's hard to, um, or it's, it's a feat actually, to be able to at the same time have this distraction, if, you are, if I may call it uh, that, and it's, it's more than a distraction, I would say, and at the same time uh, go about these reforms that are very broad-based and that are also threatening to um, important parts of the Ukrainian economy, 
because it's not that everyone is welcoming this because there are, there are people who are going to lose money on, on, on um, when they, these reforms are, are done. The EU is, of course, um, standing by Ukraine uh, firmly uh, and is uh, profoundly engaged in these reforms. Many of them are sustained by, by different programs that are undertaken under the association agreement. We have also concluded this uh, deep and comprehensive free trade agreement with Ukraine. And what the EU is working on is really to bring the uh, Ukrainian economy up to a standard where um, it can by itself improve its, its situation. By being uh, an economy that can compete on, on a global level, by increasing standards uh, and uh, the rule of law, the anti-corruption, so um, the business climate becomes better. Because without foreign investments, I don't think Ukraine will be able to, to make this. And right now, they are classified very low on, on, on all these indexes we have for making, making business. And, and that is really necessary to attract foreign investment um, so um, we can bolster the exports and also increase um, the, the sort of um, life, um, the quality of life for the Ukrainian people because they need to see also that things, things move forward. So the EU is, is engaged on a, on a very um, uh, broad uh, level on, on different reforms. We are very happy with what has been achieved. But I mean, of course, the numbers speak for themselves and we, we, we need to, to, um, to move forward. Um, what has to be said at this moment is, of course, that uh, this is not happening in a vacuum. Um, uh, Ukraine has a very big neighbor. Uh, the EU uh, and the US have hand in hand um, dealt with this political uh, and geopolitical situation. And um, what we can say for the EU stands by this. There has constantly been a worry that the EU would sort of be split on the sanctions to, on, of Russia, which are directly linked, of course, to the situation in, in Ukraine. And um, now I think it's our time to worry about um, what this new administration is going to, to do with, with these sanctions. Let me ask you about financing. I asked Ron about uh, the IMF. And mm -hmm. to be clear, the IMF has given, of course, monies. But the issue has been that you opted not to extend that in this round. And some are challenging that and saying that because of the need for stabilization, uh, both uh, the IMF, well, not only both, the IMF, the US, the EU, the EBRD mm. has to continue in order to achieve that stabilization. So how do you see it uh, in terms of financing? Uh, should that assistance be uh, continued in order to ensure that uh, these reforms are locked in? Yeah, uh, of course, we, we have certainly um, the, the different member states in the, in the IMF have certainly their, their position on, 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 on the board of an IMF on how the IMF program is going to be moved forward and it's, it's, it's the IMF is dealing with that. From our point of view, I think our view is that Ukraine continues to need external financing mm -hmm. because uh, it is very uh, fragile as it is to be able to resist any shocks from the outside. Uh, it needs to buffer up uh, its, uh, 
uh, its uh, international financing and its, its international reserves. Um, we know that they are very dependent on, on for example, the transit uh, uh, income for the gas. Uh, we have seen um, that that has been shut off at, at earlier uh, occasions when there, there has been some kind of political crisis, for example. So there is, the economy is not diversified enough, the incomes are not diversified enough uh, to withstand a shock on, on uh, for example, that part of the economy. Okay, I'm going to go to Anders because then I want to recite, you know, come back to all of you and then at around 11.30 come to the audience. Um, Anders, you've taken a position and you've argued, in fact, just picking up on two points here, the funding question, that it, it isn't a good idea to uh, have a pause here. Um, articulate why you feel strongly that it has to um, uh, continue, not only the IMF, but all of the parties concerned, and then give your prognosis and analysis of what's the state of the economy. You've heard Ron's, you've heard Caroline's, what's yours? Yeah, if I start with the last, Please. Ukraine now has really the choice, two, or two to three percent growth a year, or six to eight percent growth a year. Easy choice. This is what uh, uh, needs to be done. Uh, and uh, think of it, Ireland throughout the 1990s, a far richer country, had average growth of 7%. There's no reason for uh, Ukraine to st uh, stay at these meager growth rates of 2-3% that we are seeing in uh, Eastern Europe today. And uh, what is needed then? You can say that Ron developed very well what has been done on the macroeconomic side. The energy reform, 10% of GDP in subsidies taken away. The fiscal deficit, the budget deficit was cut by 8% of GDP last year alone. This is magnificent. This is really a proper adjustment. The current account adjustment it was, uh, as Ron mentioned, 9% of GDP in the course of two years, thanks to the floating exchange rate, which is now uh, right. Half the banks have been closed down. This is by far the biggest reforms Ukraine has undertaken. The energy price reform has never been properly done before. Poland did that in 92. And now Ukraine finally did it. So I'm much more hopeful. I see that this... <coughs> is about to become the big, great breakthrough. It's not there yet. And uh, both Caroline and Ron uh, developed upon uh, that point. The big problem here is corruption. That's uh, uh, the dominant issue. There are others also, but we should really focus on that. And the problem here is uh, judicial reforms have not been properly uh, carried out. They have been legislated, but not uh, implemented. So what should be done then? I think that there need to be a sufficient force of international financing to deliver a tipping point, and it's not there now. Uh, the number that I uh, like particular is that in U uh, Ukraine had in 2013, before the whole thing started, a, a, a public debt of $73 billion. Today, the public debt is $68 billion. There's been some uh, reduction of it. The $3 billion was written off, 
and the, the, uh, a small part of this was in domestic currencies. But essentially, there has not been a net inflow of international financing to Ukraine. This is the big deal, and that should be the case. So I'm very afraid, not of Ukraine fatigue here, but of Western fatigue in Ukraine. Uh, at the height, 70% of Ukrainians wanted uh, uh, to join the European Union. Uh, latest poll I saw was 46%. So there is a sense uh, the West doesn't want us. Why should we want the, the West? That is rising. This is what I'm most afraid of. And what should be done then? Put significant money on the table. Uh, Natalia Resko was here earlier this year, and she argued uh, put $5 billion in investment uh, funding on the table from the Western community uh, as a whole uh, each year for the next uh, five years. This is not something uh, extraordinary. Uh, the IMF has now given uh, $7.7 .7 billion uh, in um, one and a half years. So uh, these are quite normal quantities. So where would the money come from? EBRD, $1 billion. Uh, uh, European Investment Bank, one billion. The World Bank, one billion a year. Uh, the US, one billion a year. The European Union, one billion a year. On top of that, we have a bilateral donors uh, like Japan, Germany, Sweden, others that uh, pr provide money. So this is what one should aim at. I'm not mentioning the IMF in this context because the IMF is there not for investment but for uh, stabilization uh, policy, uh, which is uh, different. Then we could get a tipping point in Ukrainian politics. We are now seeing lots of corruption scandals in Ukraine. And scandals, corruption scandals are a good thing because it means that uh, corruption is a scandal. That uh, corruption involves a reputational cost. That was not the case before. It was m more a matter of pride how much you managed to steal because you were not prosecuted in any case. Admittedly, people are still not prosecuted, but at least they are hanged out in the, uh, the media. And uh, Ukraine is more open than any other country that is so corrupt. This is a strength for the country itself. And therefore, as Caroline rightly said, the EU and the IMF now think pretty much the same about Ukraine because the domestic discussion is so good. So the Ukrainians explain to us all what are the problems. You, I can give you a, an opposite example. Uh, the US and the EU had opposite views of Mikhail Saakashvili's reforms in Georgia because Georgia did not have as good a discussion and as great a, a transparency as Ukraine has today. But it also brings a problem for foreign um, powers, because if you know all these corruption scandals, how can you justify to give money to these corrupt people? Mm -hmm. uh, rather than seeing it, this is our opportunity to tip the balance to the good people who have brought out all this uh, dirt. 
So therefore, I think that we should take a different view of corruption scandals, and we should put a large amount of money on the table so that the good forces in Ukraine can win. And of course, it should be conditional. But, but that's the advice you're giving, in a way, to the West and then these institutions. What advice would you give if you're sitting in Kiev, and what advice would you give to the government so they can make their case? What should they be doing in order to make a strong case for this continued financing? Judicial reform, clean out the prosecutor general's office. Uh, this, uh, President Parashenko is on his fourth prosecutor general. No success so far. Something more needs to be done there. Uh, judicial reform was legislated in June. Uh, speed it up and get, uh, get it done. It looks uh, promising, but I'm not sure. And uh, uh, in SPO, the security services, uh, uh, that uh, the anti-corruption part there needs to be cleaned up. The new uh, na uh, uh, National Anti-Corruption Bureau seems excellent. Uh, let, uh, let it uh, uh, work. These are the most important. Then we come to what um, what uh, uh, <clears throat> Ron mentioned. There's one big bank, the private bank. Mm -hmm. That is uh, the question, what should be done about that? This issue needs to be clarified as soon as possible. Uh, and then the banking system would look fine. Uh, uh, land reform is a big issue. Pension reform needs to uh, be prepared. But on the positive side, I would like to emphasize healthcare reform is underway now, finally, which is very important because of an excellent uh, uh, acting minister of healthcare who happens to be a US citizen. And uh, education uh, reform was actually adopted by the government uh, today uh, of the ordinary school system. So th th these are uh, good things underway, but corruption fighting, that's the key. I want to ask you this, and we'll work back uh, with Caroline and then Ron, the same question. What, in your estimation, have been the, uh, the most successful strategies in moving these reforms along from where you're sitting? Why have, in certain sectors, reforms taken hold and other sectors they have not? It's very easy. You need to have a reformer on top. We will have uh, Ivar Abramovich, who's here later, uh, presented. I would say that we are seeing four top reformers. Uh, uh, Natalia Resco with uh, uh, fiscal reform and tax reform. Uh, Valeria Hontarieva, the head of a national uh, bank, mm -hmm. who did uh, uh, the cleansing of the banking system and monetary policy and exchange rate policy. Uh, Ivaras Abramovichus, who did a lot in the Ministry of Economy in terms of uh, deregulation, uh, public uh, procurement, and, um, and also improvement of uh, state enterprise uh, governance in, in some uh, cases. And uh, uh, of course, the Andrei Korbelyev in the NAFTA gas. Okay. So you need strong reforms who are prepared uh, to to fight uh, for it. I could mention a, a few others, but people uh, Varsky, Pavlenko, Kvit, three more uh, substantial reform ministers. But you need to have the people who want to do the reforms. In the judicial area, we don't see it as That yet. leadership combined with the assistance. Um, Caroline and Ron, comments that you may have listening to Anders? Are you in agreement with what he said? Do you have other points to add before we go to the audience? Caroline. 
certainly, I mean, you, you, need to be, you need to want to do it yourself. Otherwise, uh, whatever help you get from the outside or assistance or, or it does not bring anything. It's, it's a sovereign country. Uh, it's, it's all up to the government and, and, and as, as often up to individuals uh, that are strong and can bring people with them. What I would say, what the EU is offering, which I think is quite important as well, is that we accompany Ukraine on the way. There is a very uh, persistent interest in Ukraine. There is a number of, of meetings held. There was uh, a summit uh, held now on the, uh, on the 24th of November. There is this association council. There are all these programs, um, uh, which is uh, in judicial reform, in anti-corruption, in in energy, in, in so many fields, where the EU is really accompanying uh, Ukraine uh, on the way and, and shows interest in a very um, concrete way, not just coming in and, and, and kind of leaving. And I think that is important also to see that there is an interest. And the EU has quite a good track record. We should not forget that we have, um, we have been through this with a number of new member states mm. Um, so uh, the, the methodology is really, is really there. Um, and if the Ukrainian population likes or dislikes the EU, well, it's, it, you could say it's, it's of a lesser importance because the fact that your legislation and, and standards and trading practices and whatever is brought up to an EU level, that prepares you for the global market. Uh, whether you want to, to sort of, uh, in a very long-term perspective, join the EU or not do it, I mean, it doesn't really matter. If you, are, if you have a legislation, if you have standards, if you have practices that are on an EU or near EU level, well, then you are able to trade with the world and um, interact with the world, and I think that is what is what is important. But you're not worried about Ukraine fatigue, or are you? Anders used that term. I th I think you know there is um, uh, there is uh, uh, risk for fatigues of all sorts uh, because the world is very complicated and there are very many conflicts that um, calls for EU attention. Uh, everything from not giving up on Somalia, you know, not uh, the Middle East uh, Syria uh, situation, the migration situation. There are many, there are many um, situations that, uh, that call for EU attention and EU money. We are putting in huge sums now, of course, for, for sort of managing the, the, the migration situation, right. immigration situation outside EU's borders, in mm -hmm. Turkey, for example, and in, in the countries that are uh, more implied uh, in, the, in the conflict. Um, and Syria, we, we can just imagine what it will cost mm -hmm. to build up something that is now basically rubble. I mean, it's, there's, there's no, nothing left. And, and therefore, I, I would like to say again, you know, it's, it's important that we have a United States that is not inward looking but uh, feels that it needs to take its share uh, of this because the EU can't do it all. It can't do it all by itself. Uh, that is absolutely clear. There is another alternative, of course, that we hand it over to Russia. And, uh, but that, I think, I don't see that the Russian economy is doing great strides. Uh, and if that is the level uh, we wish to have to for 40 million people, um, 
Yeah. Okay. And Ron, do you have these yeah, uh, no, I, points I'm, you might want to add I, I, in this mix? I want to <laughs> add to, to what Anders was saying. He made some, he made some very, very good points. When we, when we talk to businesses operating in, in, in Ukraine, both domestic businesses and, and international investors, we always ask them, I mean, what, what, what do you want to change? What do you see as, as the, the, the biggest problem? And of course, I mean, the first thing that always comes up is corruption. Uh, corruption is still always the, the, the most important issue that, that is seen as an obstacle to doing business in, in Ukraine. Followed closely, but less so in, in, in recent years, uh, tax administration, which, which, which has been another problem, problem in the past. Um, and, and, and I think there, I mean, we, we see that there, has been, there have been improvements. Um, in part, also what, what Anders was saying is that, that the society has become more, more open and more focused on this. I mean, there is a very, very strong civil society in, in Ukraine that, that is looking at this issue, particularly the issue of, of, of Ukraine. Uh, we also have, have, have uh, established a good relationship with them to see, okay, what can we do in the context of the IMF program to, to deal with these issues. Um, and, and there, I mean, if you, if you traditionally look at, at IMF programs, I mean, these, these issues of, of, of corruption, judiciary reform are, are not the natural mandate of, 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 of the IMF. Now, given the importance for, for macroeconomic development uh, in, in Ukraine, we, we, we have stepped into this, this, this field by, by pushing, for example, for the establishment of, of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau and for the appointment of, of independent uh, anti-corruption prosecutors. But, and and these, these have been successful reforms uh, and, and, and the implementation of, of the asset declaration uh, was, 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 was another measure. But what happens after that? And, and so there we run into what Anders was saying, the judicial reform. And, and yes, they adopted uh, legislation in, in, in the summer for, to, to start this, this broader judicial reform. But, but the implementation of, of, of these institutions and the general application of, of the rule of law, that, that needs to be improved. I mean, we can do all these reforms, state-owned enterprise reform, uh, energy sector reform, uh, banking sector reform, whatever, without, without the judiciary. I mean, it's, 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 it's still going to be difficult. And I think that, that's, that's a critical one. Okay. All right, I think you, all of you have really uh, laid a good foundation for a dialogue. So let's go to you, yes, and you'll have the first. And if you don't mind, please introduce yourself and if you have a particular person who up here who you want to answer your question. Thank you. Uh, Ted Allers, uh, former World Bank. I agree with what you said, uh, all of you, about what has transpired in the last couple of years and the important things that have been done, the hard things that have been done. I agree on what needs to be done. Um, I, if I hear you right, I think I disagree on the prospects. Uh, as Ron said, Ukraine has lots of episodes of big, tough reforms during crises, and then, to, and then really a halt. Uh, many people would say that's a political economy issue. It's not about disagreement amongst economists and what would be, need to be done to have 6% growth instead of 2% growth. Um, it's about vested interests that have really captured the state. Um, and that, from a, so it's a political economy issue, which has evolved, but not that much. And that Privat Bank, the uh, state prosecutor's office, judicial reform, or generally haven't moved, is not an accident. Um, so why would it be different this time, or what needs to happen to change that political economy? Because it, 
appears that those vested interests are as influential almost as ever. Okay. Uh, Anders, I think you should take that. Thank you, since I'm the greatest optimist, I guess, well, on the well, panel. You, you did use that word. You were optimistic, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that the answer is that uh, this will be taken care of by corruption scandals, which uh, will uh, drive the political process to quite another extent than before. And my general argument is that if you, uh, corruption is your main problem, you don't want political stability. Because political stability means that uh, the corruption, the vested interest, will survive. Uh, so you should see this as an iterative process. The three Baltic countries and uh, Poland, the four arguably most successful uh, post-communist reform countries, change government on average every year during the first decade of independence. And, uh, in the West now, in particular here in Washington, you have a strong sense we must have political stability in Ukraine. No. It's better to have early elections. The people in power, the vested interest, warn us very strongly about populism. I'm much less afraid of populism in Ukraine, where people have proven quite sensible in most elections, than I am afraid of a vested interest. So let uh, the political process work, and the Ukrainians know best how it should uh, work without us in the West to understand Ukrainian politics much less um, uh, uh, let it go. The economy we understand quite well, but uh, the politics uh, are much more uh, difficult than local. Okay, we're going to go to the gentleman may, may at I, the... May, oh, may, oh, I apologize. I sure, on, sure. On, on, on this. And, and, um, I mean, at the IMF, we're not, not the natural-born optimist like maybe Anders is, and we're always a little bit more, more cautious. But, but that being said, I mean, we, are, we, we also see, see reason for, for optimism. And it, it may be not just an issue of, of, of tackling, I mean, directly addressing the vested interest. Um, what also has happened is, is, is taking away opportunities for corruption and, and opportunities for the vested interest to, to benefit from, from, from the situation that they had before. I mean, the energy sector is, is, a, is, is a key example where, where vast sums of, of monies were made by, by oligarchs, by, by benefiting from the difference between international market prices and, and, and the tariffs that were, were, were charged domestically. Um, similarly, I mean, the government put in place uh, an electronic procurement system, Prozoro, that, that mm. has uh, vastly reduced the scope for, for corruption in, in, in public procurement. So there are ways, uh, with, even, even without having the judicial reform already mm. that, that we all want so much, there are ways to reduce the opportunities for corruption and reduce the opportunities for, from, from vested uh, interest to, to benefit from, from, from those. I'm glad you commented, and forgive me. I, I, I thought maybe both of you maybe yeah. did, but please no, no, go ahead, Caroline. I just Caroline. want to say also um, uh, that that the EU also understands very well, and we have invested earlier in in, in, in anti-corruption. We are there was a new uh, program signed uh, for 15 million uh, euros on an anti-corruption initiative for for Ukraine to continue the reforms, and the association agreement and the free trade agreement. These are not short term programs. That's not something we sign up for for two years. This is a sort of long-term engagement with Ukraine. Uh, 
we are not going to abandon Ukraine. We, we, we um, invest in the future of Ukraine, and you need to be um, a bit optimistic for that as well. And we also, I think, and we never learn that these, these reform processes, when it's going into market economy, whether it's to go into democracy, it's not something you do in two years. You don't do it. It takes generation, at least. Okay. I promised the gentleman first back there, the back of the room, and seated. Andre Larian, okay, the Institute. Just four points in a telegraphic style. Two issues, I think, probably not uh, the best way it has been described here. One is definitely, I would not consider what has happened in National Bank of Ukraine as a reform. Uh, it's maybe a demonstration more of traditional problem as corruption. Uh, National Bank, since June year 2014, since new leadership, has lost 9 billion US dollars as reserves uh, just because of mismanagement. Uh, if out of all banks of Ukraine, all kind of lost assets over the last two years, only two banks grew uh, in assets. One is that is associated with the president and another associated with the head of the National Bank. It does not look like it's reform. It looks like it's corruption. So um, uh, another issue about this uh, financing uh, international, I think it's a definitely good uh, idea, especially if country in such a dire situation. But here's a problem already. Share of debt to GDP is close to 90% of, uh, of GDP. If Ukraine would receive, let's say, six, seven, eight billion US dollar a year, without no growth or growth like one and a half or two percent a year, this share would be growing. And with such a low level of economic development as uh, Ukraine having right now, it's going to increase that burden in future and would not allow to take growth uh, later. So that is why uh, it's a good idea, but it, this idea could be a drug addiction for Ukraine. So that is why probably it's better to start growth, and if growth really good enough to support with financing after that. Maybe try to get these. And two points that have okay, not been mentioned if, at if all. One economic one, which has been discussed initially, but today has not been mentioned at all. Size of government. Ukraine cannot grow at all with such a size of government as it is has right now. It's at the level of Europe. And it's too fourth? poor. And, and the fourth? fourth is the problem with security. It's certainly not maybe for this panel, but because of the real, actually, fatigue or whatever. It's a Budapest fatigue. Mm -hmm. And Minsk cannot replace Budapest. And that is why it's probably not for economists, but for the general, generally for the Western community, to think about something that could really replace or create a new something, uh, some kind of arrangement in security that could help and protect country from international or from foreign threat okay. and to allow to have a real economic growth. All right, thank you. You put, uh, he put a very robust question forward. Who would like to uh, begin? Would you like to, Ron, start this sure, time? Sure, sure. Uh, maybe take pieces or all yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, the, um, uh, first, first on the issue of, of, of taking on more debt and, and that you need to grow and you, you shouldn't become addicted to, to more debt. And 
I agree, but that's why we're pushing for economic reforms and, and, and the disbursement, uh, at least under, under the IMF program, but also the disbursement of, of assistance from, from the uh, European Union, is conditional on progress in economic reforms to get that economic growth that, that you would need to grow out of your debt problem. Indeed, uh, the debt to GDP is, is uh, estimated to end this year by, by about 86% of GDP. It will, it will increase in, in, in the coming two years before steadily coming down if we get that economic growth. But if there are, if there are no reforms, there will be no financing either. And so the, 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 the financing is conditional on the reforms that are needed to get the economic growth. So, the, so that's, that's, that's that issue. Um, I, I, I totally disagree on, on that the, the central bank has not been reformist and, and uh, um, I mean if, if, if anything we think that uh, we strongly believe that, that the reforms pushed by the, the NBU are, are um, exemplary. Uh, the, the steps that they have taken in cleaning up the banking system have been tremendous and we fully support those. Uh, having established now an independent uh, and professional central bank uh, is also a remarkable achievement uh, that, that had been lacking in, in, in the past. The success also that we see in, in, in um, the central bank uh, adopting inflation targeting, uh, having successfully reduced uh, the rate of inflation from, from more than 60% to, to a current level of, of a little over 10% and is going to decline further next year. I mean, these are these these have been remarkable achievements, and so we we, okay. we fully support the central bank. What about uh, the other two points raised, Caroline and Anders? On the security um, issue, um, I'm absolutely clear. Um, uh, this will always—it's uh, a drain, it's a distraction. It it uh, puts the country in uh, in in a situation where it's also under pressure from from the outside and not. A benevolent, benevolent or, or positive pressure, but a negative pressure. We have the Minsk process um, today. That is what we have to work with. There has not been much success, unfortunately. Um, and I think today we are here a bit in a wait and, and, and see mood um, until we get a new uh, American administration. Uh, although the US is not part of the Minsk process, uh, which we have, one can discuss whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, um, but uh, there has certainly been a lot of activity from State Department in trying to sort of, on the sidelines, help uh, the Minsk process to move forward. And, and, um, but it's a part of, of, um, of a bigger game. So I think we have to, at this moment, we have to wait and see a bit. And uh, this will take, there will be new, new um, uh, energy coming into this. Uh, there will be um, some kind of discussion on the rollover of the sanctions uh, at the European Council uh, tomorrow. Um, I have not heard anything but that they will be rolled over. Um, so um, that's okay. where we are. And Anders? Yeah, uh, on the size of government, uh, according to the IMF, it was 53% of GDP in uh, 2014, which is indeed uh, European, uh, West Euro high West European level. According to the latest number, it is down uh, now to 44% of GDP and falling. It should go down to 35, but this is part of outstanding performance by Natalia Resco last year, and she particularly targeted 
corrupt expenditures which should not be there. You, uh, in Ukraine, there's a special word for theft from the state budget, deriban. And this is what she hit uh, very hard uh, against. And on international financing, in fact, uh, at the current, it's 80% uh, of GDP. Uh, so the 90% uh, you used is the IMF forecast, which did not come true, because Ukraine has done better on the macroeconomics than the IMF uh, anticipated. Uh, Ukraine has now seen the currency fall uh, three times. So the uh, dollar wages in Ukraine have fallen by 60% since 2013. We would expect a substantial appreciation of the currency, and almost all the, uh, the public debt is now in uh, uh, foreign currency. So if you uh, uh, double the exchange rate, which is qu uh, quite uh, possible and likely in a few years, then you reduce the current uh, uh, public debt by half. If you, de uh, on top of that, have growth, uh, it falls e even more. So we have seen in other countries uh, that have got growth, and then you get appreciation, and then uh, the debt is not so. So I would not be worried about the debt. Think of it that today Ukraine's GDP per capita at current dollars is only $2,000, which is extremely low. So uh, it, it, there should be a substantial appreciation after macroeconomic stabilization plus economic growth have taken hold. But in order to get there, we need more international finance. We're going to take two questions, and then we're going to come back to you. And if the questions could be brief, it would be appreciated. Yes, you had your hand up, and then we're going to come to you. Uh, gentleman in front here. Thank you, my honor B. Dentons. Uh, I, my question is, uh, I think from the viewpoint of Ukraine now, you mentioned, Ms. Vicini, about a wait-and-see approach to the new administration in America. Uh, Mr. Oslin mentioned the uh, reference to we need a tipping point uh, to get uh, the ball rolling on reforms. And from the audience, we heard a lot about vested interest groups, all of which is true. But I do think reform and aid to Ukraine is very much a perceptual issue. And there has to be uh, a, an effort uh, to win the war of perception, both as reform is perceived in Ukraine and how Ukraine's efforts are perceived in the West, I think there is a failing on both counts. And I, my question to you would be, would you not feel, uh, I, we appreciate that Ukraine needs to increase its the perception, not the facts, but also how it is perceived. But I think Ukraine is suffering from a very bad perception of the EU and of Europe in that uh, there is, you, you hear more news about the EU moving the visa-free program, kicking the can on that issue, uh, the Netherlands again, wanting to renegotiate the EU association agreement. I realize it's only other points, but the perception is that's on hold, uh, that the voices in Europe as to uh, cooperating with Russia, that sanctions are, are impeding business, and of course the view 
that the United States will be taking a pro-Russia approach, uh, would you not say that that's, that message to Ukraine is, uh, you know, we're on the cusp of abandoning you? Okay, I and think, how could that I think they got the essence of your question, and we'll come back to you. Uh, this gentleman, could you introduce uh, hello. yourself? <clears throat> Vitaly Tarasuk, Embassy of Ukraine. Just may maybe a few remarks, because, you know... No, uh, please, okay. ask your question. Uh, we, the we question is, hands, the question please. is, maybe just the question, but let us not forget that, I mean, the reforms that Ukraine is conducting right now were inspired by a revolution of dignity in Ukraine. And people uh, on the streets of Kyiv were actually waving uh, European Union flags, so let us not uh, forget also about that, about any fatigue or all of that. And I don't think it would be appropriate also casually mentioning Russia as a kind of like one of the sources of Ukraine's support because Ukraine is fighting Russian aggression in the East. So I think it wouldn't be kind of as an option when you mention kind of like one of the opportunities. The, the other thing is, I think, should be recognized that for 25 years that Ukraine has conducted reforms, other countries that went through this process like Singapore or Poland, have seen results much further during the road than Ukraine already shows results. So I think you know we uh, we really uh, appreciate the support we get from the United States and from European Union. And I think the Aslan's, Mr. Aslan's uh, remark with regards to the tipping point and more assistance needed is very crucial. We really support this. Okay. Thank All right. Thank you. Um, back to the question about image, uh, Caroline, Ron, uh, would you like to, and Caroline in particular, I think yeah. that's for you, on the question about Ukraine's image uh, impacting uh, the EU, that the image is one that's negative, the gentleman In was, the EU. Correct, that's what his message yeah. was, and he was no. giving some examples. Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, first of all, I, I, I must have been un, unclear in what I said. The wait and see uh, when it comes is really regarding uh, how we can solve the conflict in, in Ukraine. Because uh, there is, um, I mean, I, I want to be uh, very clear on that. The EU uh, uh, is very, very clear on Ukraine's uh, sovereignty, its right to its borders, uh, its a political solution has to be, to, uh, to be found, and we are fully supporting the Minsk process. Uh, what are the wait and see is to see what what kind of attitude will we see from the new um, from the new administration in the United States. I, I can't answer that question today, and I if anybody here could help me to get an answer for that, I would be very very <laughs> happy because we are looking for that um, uh, you know constantly to get some kind of, of direction there. Um, I can understand. I mean, um, we. Uh, because the US and the EU has worked hand in hand with Ukraine and it's been a strong show of solidarity um, uh, towards Ukraine. When it comes to the two issues you mentioned, um, the attitude or the, the referendum in the Netherlands on um, uh, the accession uh, agreement, there is a solution um, that has been worked out that will, not, that will hopefully be taken tomorrow at the European Council which sort of responds to the internal political, domestic political needs in, in, in the Netherlands, but that not, does not change at all the uh, agreement with Ukraine. So with that, we hope that the Netherlands will be able to, to ratify as the 27 other countries have done already. So we get that. And, and the association agreement has been 
already uh, kick-started because it can be provisionally put in place and that was done immediately. So there has been no uh, delays in that. When it comes to the, um, to the visa-free travel to the European Union, I think anybody considering uh, the uh, political situation in the EU after the migration crisis we have had uh, during uh, the, the last uh, year or two understands that, and anybody who has followed that in media understands that migration today is a very touchy and difficult uh, topic to deal with on political level in the EU. Um, the, and we understand the symbolic part of the visa-free travel to Europe uh, that this brings with us. There is now uh, a technical, really internal, and I shouldn't bore you with the sort of internal EU mechanism, the political system that we have put up, but the visa-free travel is, is really well under its way, and there are some technical issues to be resolved. There was a question of a mechanism, how this visa-free travel um, uh, agreement could be suspended if it was abused, and, and the sort of discussion had revolved around that. That is now basically solved, and we hope that in the near future uh, we can offer um, visa-free travel for uh, Ukrainians, for, for short-term stays, for tourism to, uh, to Europe. I'm going to suggest we go to the floor again, and all right, we'll take your question, uh, you at the back, and then the gentleman over here. We have to close after this. We're going to take three comments. So there, the gentleman at the back, and the gentleman right there. And my apologies to others. If you make, please, brief questions, they will respond. We have a uh, guest, a distinguished guest speaker who will be coming in via Skype. This will be brief. Um, Josh Cohen, and I write independently on Ukraine for a number of outlets. I have a question for Anders. Um, what do you see as the, uh, you mentioned privatization as the biggest holdup? Um, my own view, and I know you've been doing this for 25 years, is that sometimes there's too much of a focus on how much money you can get. My own view is if there's enough interest, you know, Get, get whatever money you can. If not, you know, have the starting price at zero and uh, you know, get rid of the asset. Just curious what you think and what the holdups are. Okay, thank you for the brevity of your question. And the gentleman there, yes. Uh, George Sayevich, uh, Voice of America, retired. Uh, Ukraine has a lot of friends in the international community. It receives offers of help, uh, excellent advice, like here in the previous panel. The problem is that there is an underlying condition that doesn't allow these offers of help and this great advice to be effective, to make much of a difference. And that underlying uh, condition is, as Dr. Oslin said, the basic problem is corruption. But I would say that this is corruption in a wider uh, sense. It's macro corruption because what's involved is the uh, distortion, perversion, corruption of the mechanisms that would allow this advice and these offers of help to make a difference. And my question will be uh, to the uh, panel, uh, what do you see as a way of possibly neutralizing, minimizing, if not removing uh, the, this corruption uh, so that these mechanisms would be allowed to work okay. and your very good advice be allowed to work? And if I may, just a, a brief listing of the sources 
of uh, this corruption, and that is political corruption at the very top uh, in the Rada, which makes the forces that res are resisting corruption much stronger than the uh, reformers. And evidence of that is that uh, several key reformers have resigned. You have the problem of the oligarchs that are pretty much, they think they're running the country and they are not interested in reform. Uh, more specifically, an area, the Donbass, which is a, a great irritant, and uh, there is the local corruption of the leadership. There is the uh, corruption on a lower level, criminality. Sir, we're going to have to move to the next one. You've given okay. a number of examples. Thank you. All right. And, and the gentleman back there, if you'll introduce yourself, and then we're going to the panel last. Thank you. Um, two quick questions. Dirk Mathiasen, I'm a writer on Russian and Ukrainian affairs, also an optimist on Ukraine. Uh, quick questions on the privatization. It's stalled. If Ukraine is able to sort that out, what is the confidence that Ukraine can attract sufficient investment interest at reasonable asset prices? Um, second question, I guess, for Mr. Van Ruden is um, any comment on PrivatBank? Is it solvent? Is it a balance sheet issue? Is it an oligarch issue? Okay, thank you. Um, Ron, why don't we begin with you? We'll just come down the line yeah. for with our comments and responding to these points. Um, I mean, clearly, as always, I mean, we're, we're, we're not commenting on, on any uh, specific banks. Um, there, I mean, all I can say is that, that uh, the, the central bank has been working diligently over the last couple of years in improving the health of, of, the, of the financial system. Uh, in that regard, it has uh, discussed and agreed recapitalization and uh, programs with, with, with the largest banks, uh, including Privat Bank, um, as well as programs for the unwinding of related party exposures. I mean, these programs are in place and are being implemented, and, and we fully support in the, the, the NBU on this. Okay, thank you. Caroline? No, I think I don't have any questions. Anything to add? All right, then Anders? Yeah, thank you. George Cohen, I completely agree with you. The main problem with the remaining state enterprises is that they cause corruption. They cause flows of corruption, and that's why privatization is stalled. So there are no real state enterprises. There's always somebody sitting on the pipe, as they say. And uh, the question is to uh, get uh, uh, those people away. Uh, and uh, coming to the stalled uh, privatization question in that uh, context, uh, I think that uh, this was exactly the wrong way of handling a privatization. They take the most valuable company and make sure that they fail because there are vested interest in it. And Ostrom of Dmitry Firtas has a claim of $250 million. Would any foreign company, uh, after having bought the company, pay $250 million to somebody who's uh, wanted by Department of Justice? It's impossible. So therefore, no foreign company could uh, participate under those, uh, uh, those conditions, and the few at home would have the money, or if they would have the money, they would not want to be revealed. So uh, what I think is sell off, uh, what Ron essentially said at the beginning, sell off all the junk as fast as possible to get rid of it. Um, uh, half of these enterprises are factory ruins. 
so it's only real estate uh, value, get rid of it, uh, because that's a way of getting rid of corruption, then you uh, will activate uh, uh, the market. With regard to foreign investment, uh, Morgan Williams uh, makes this point often that people are not prepared to invest in Ukraine today. FDI has essentially been zero in real terms since 2014 because of a war. Under Yanukovych, it was 4% of GDP each year, six to eight billion dollars. And now it's a zero. In the statistics, you see some, but it's not real foreign direct investment. It's recapitalization of banks, which simply means that foreign banks transform their loans to subsidiaries in Ukraine to equity capital, and then it's registered as FDI. And uh, this is the reason why it's so important to get some settlement about, um, about the war. Because if you take a big US company, they don't go into the details. They say, we don't invest there because there's war. And uh, 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 that's it. Uh, on uh, uh, political corruption, yes, uh, what we have not talked here about is the RADA. The RADA is a major problem. And uh, the, the la latest corruption scandal, Vyonyshenko uh, scandal, deals exactly with this. Uh, so this is another part that needs to be uh, sorted out. I prefer to discuss it in terms of vested interest. And uh, I think it's much more that Ukraine has gone back to the early 90s, that the big corruption is within the state rather than involving the private enterprises. If you look up on the Forbes assessment of uh, the Ukraine, uh, top Ukrainian uh, oligarch's wealth, it has fallen by two-thirds in the last uh, two years, suggesting that they are not doing very well. So I think that uh, the oligarchs is very much what people uh, attack because it's convenient, because otherwise you have to mention names, and we don't want to mention names. I don't mention names. And, um, uh, while I think vested interest and state officials and parliamentarians, that's a more relevant discussion as the problem looks now. Let me apologize again for those questions that we did not get to. Um, uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, please join me in thanking this panel for their comments. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to turn the program over to Anders Oslin so he can introduce our special uh, guest speaker, Anders. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Ivers. Yes, can you Great hear me? Let, let me just uh, introduce Ivers Bramovich uh, with a few words. We are old friends for uh, many years, and Ivers has lived in uh, Ukraine for eight years. He was uh, uh, previously, for 20 years, a fund manager, and he knows really how Ukrainian and Russian enterprises work on the grassroots level. And uh, for these good reasons, he became Minister of uh, Economy on the 2nd of December 2014. And uh, uh, he uh, got into certain trouble when a certain, um, not to be mentioned, senior uh, parliamentarian asked him to um, appoint uh, uh, deputy minister who would sit on uh, the naftha gas uh, uh, <coughs> uh, money flow and uh, i was refused 
and instead resigned. And in April, he finally left as uh, 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 Minister of Economy. So it's Ivar who has done great things. He's behind the uh, public e-procurement. He's behind substantial deregulation. He's behind substantial reform on, of uh, state uh, uh, enterprise ma management. And uh, he was also one of the people who was pushing very hard for the unification uh, of energy prices. Ivars, the floor is yours. Take it away. Thank you, Anders, for this uh, kind introduction. And hello uh, from Frosty Kiev. Uh, I apologize to the organizers uh, for I am appearing uh, over Skype instead of uh, in person. Unfortunate uh, circumstances this time stood uh, in the way between me and the DC, but uh, I am certain uh, that uh, I will see many of you in the future, both in the US and in uh, Ukraine. And uh, first of all, I want to help, uh, thank uh, Atlantic Council, uh, personally Anders Osland and also uh, Ambassador Herbst uh, uh, for friendship and also for support uh, to myself, uh, to Ukraine, and to the team of uh, reformers that continue to push uh, for the positive change in that country. Three weeks ago, we had a phenomenal event in Kiev, which was called a Reform Fuck-Up Night. Uh, and uh, 16 presenters uh, were on the stage, including uh, yours uh, truly, uh, 450 people in the audience, another 2,000 in the waiting list. And I looked at those people and I said, wow. What a great crowd of really bright, courageous, uh, and uh, true agents of change you know, among the young Ukrainians. Sadly, most have been sidelined by now, but their impact has been remarkable, in my view. In private business, if a CEO lets such a pool of talent go, he would have some grim consequences to face uh, from, the, from the board. I was the first to speak and I paid tribute to a phenomenal group of people, uh, many of whom have left already government or central bank or various groups uh, of uh, reforms, uh, uh, but also to those that continue to make us proud and continue to serve uh, the country in government or, or, or elsewhere. I believe that an enormous amount of good stuff has been already done. I also always wanted to lead by example, uh, so uh, we started with ourselves. And Ministry of Economy was at the forefront uh, uh, of many transformations and positive changes uh, in Ukraine. Uh, it would not have been possible without a great team that I eventually assembled. First and most important rule in recruiting those people was that anyone who has been in public administration before Maidan is not suitable for a top position in my government or in state-owned enterprises. So immediately got dismissed. Perhaps 10% of those dismissed would have been decent, but we had to go through some brutal uh, illustration that we imposed ourselves uh, within the ministry. So 700 people have been fired, which is 50%. 240 were hired, bright, ambitious, progressive, uh, young uh, uh, Ukrainians. And with this type of team of agents of change, uh, we embarked on uh, quite a few uh, interesting uh, uh, reforms. The most successful reforms in our ministry was certainly Prozoro. 
even though it was not even part of the coalition agreement. Within our own ministry, it was fourth in terms of priority. But thanks to very aggressive and positive and repetitive communications, among other things, we managed to basically achieve uh, the most successful reform in Ukraine in the past uh, three years. We started this reform in February 2015, when a kindergarten, in order to buy blankets, had to fill in seven kilograms of paperwork. Now everything is in electronic format. Last week in Paris and in May in London, this system has received an acknowledgement as the best public procurement system in the world. This is a true leapfrogging in action. When you are somewhat backward, technological advances allow, if there is a political will, of course, to adopt the latest, the best, uh, the quickest. And obviously billions of grievances in savings. Because we estimated that public procurement in Ukraine is about $12 billion a year. We estimated that 10% is stolen and 10% is inefficient uh, procurement. So potential savings are to the tune of $2 billion a year. For a small economy of less than $90 billion a year, this is quite some substantial money. Number two, and which was most important for me, given my background, as Anders so generously described, uh, was the state-owned enterprise reform. 1,824 state-owned enterprises in operation, another 2,000 in a liquidation stage. In 2014, cumulative losses were $10 billion. Thanks to energy sector reforms, cleanup of NAFTA gas, and just overall increase in transparency of state-owned enterprises, because we imposed uh, international audit, we imposed the uh, new rules for selecting CEOs, in, imposed new rules of transparency, losses were trimmed in 2015 to only $1 billion uh, a year. CEOs for three main companies were chosen by a nomination committee that comprised of five ministers, all with similar background as myself, and five independent members, of which we had heads of World Bank, IFC, IBRD in our country, business ombudsman and rector of Kiev School of Economics, which was Turkish, Lithuanian, Azeri, Chinese, uh, and uh, an American. So obviously it was very difficult for very dubious uh, candidates to scrape through this type of nomination committee. So eventually we succeeded in selecting a poll who was successfully transforming PKP Cargo, a railway company in Poland, uh, for the post of railways. Uh, Ukrainian uh, Post received a Boston Consulting Group alumni Ukrainian from uh, New York. And Ukrainian gas company received a McKinsey alumni, also a Ukrainian who worked many years in the Middle East. Third uh, biggest reform for the ministry was deregulation. So in the end, 40% of all the licenses, 46% of all the permits that required to conduct business activities were removed. 15,000 of Soviet GOS standards were abolished. 90% of certification was either synchronized with that of EU or abolished altogether. And there were some individual things, uh, easing uh, of business conditions for exporters of grain, removing a necessary quarantine certificate, expediating uh, issuance of a phytosanitarian certification in the port, uh, and so on. Uh, billions of grievances back 
to the business. Much more was done by our team, but also by an excellent team of ministers, among whom I found enormous amount of, uh, as I said, people with a similar background of myself, but with whom I also had a privilege of working in my previous life. So we had a full trust, you know, uh, from their side. Micro stabilization for the entire government was uh, goal number one, and that has been achieved. What we found was empty treasury, over 40 consecutive months of industrial output decline, 15% monthly inflation rate in May 2015, exchange rate fluctuations at a rate of 10% per day. So we used some extraordinary measures, mainly by a fantastic team at the National Bank of Ukraine, capital controls, currency controls, temporary import surcharge, not very popular things, but we had to put those in place. And we achieved microeconomic stabilization from which a foundation is now uh, being built uh, for, for economic uh, growth. So exchange rate is stable for a year and a half. Inflation peaked at 46% last year, is going to be 12% this year and 8% next year. Banks start to offer interest rates on loans that are lowest ever uh, in Ukraine, to a certain extent because there is a, a lack of uh, credible borrowers but nevertheless, 6.5% in dollars in Ukraine is, is, is for corporates is a fantastic uh, rate. Perhaps not uh, for the um, SKM group of companies. Uh, I see a jock uh, there, but uh, certainly for, for the other mortals uh, and so on. Uh, so growth is going to be 2% this year. Take it or leave it around 3% next year. This is not the type of growth that we all would have wished. But Ukraine has always chose the, the middle path instead of uh, choosing the breakthrough uh, scenario. The two biggest reforms besides microeconomic stabilization for the entire government have certainly been banking sector reform and energy sector reform. In both sectors, some of the wealthiest people basically uh, created their wealth. Uh, in energy sector reform, tariffs were raised 450% by our government, 100% by uh, the Groisman government, suicidal. No one has done that in one go anywhere before in any country, but this is because our predecessors did not do anything. Moldovans, Armenians, Lithuanians have done that, you know, gradually over the last 25 years. Ukrainians have missed out on that opportunity. It's been over a year since we bought last time gas directly from Russia. So gas from his has been sidelined, and we buy gas from the likes of RWE, Statoil, and uh, Gas de France. And of course, we finally have a proper board of directors at Naftogaz, which we again chose with the help of this nomination committee that I mentioned. Five board members, three foreigners, all Brits with 100 plus years of experience from ConocoPhillips and British Petroleum of top, top, top positions, and they are in a majority of the board. Unfortunately, those are the only three independent boards of uh, directors of the board. Sweden has 35 state-owned ent enterprises and over 300 independent uh, board directors, so certainly a long way to go. And the banking sector, I heard Anders touched based on that a bit, but uh, let me explain you how people got wealth in the banking sector. 
You set up a bank with $10 million in capital. You bring in $60 million in deposits. Take those deposits through the back door through related party lending. Go back to the central bank, ask for more refinancing for more millions of dollars and take those millions of dollars again through the back door through related uh, party lending. Then nicely hand in the keys to the government and say, sorry, I had bad luck. Perhaps you, you would be a better owner from here on. So good luck and uh, see you perhaps uh, later. So uh, over 80 banks in the last two years have been shut down. Again, not because we wanted it or the fantastic team at the central bank wanted to do it, but because our predecessors have had a very loose uh, supervision of the, of the banking sector. What shall we expect from here on? Let's be realistic. Reform process is slowing down considerably for obvious reasons. It's been three years since Maidan. There is a reform fatigue. There is still uh, uh, a war uh, going on. Uh, populists uh, are on the rise. Those that should have been in jail were quiet and scared at the beginning. But these guys are no longer scared uh, nor uh, quiet. Many are preparing for elections in two and a half years. Some are preparing for uh, earlier uh, ones. Under these uh, circumstances, Ukraine enters a more evolutionary stage uh, of development. I call it a muddle through rather than the breakthrough that we all uh, wished and we, we could have had. That still means that uh, Ukraine needs all the international support it can get just to get through this vicious cycle of setbacks that the country has been experiencing over the years. Things are actually slowly improving. Just before this call, I asked businesses around, how do they see the situation now? And I would summarize it by the words of, of one of the gentlemen who said that the situation is slowly moving out of the survival mode. So uh, clearly there has been some delayed demand. So wherever you look at mobile phone sales, car sales, events organizers, you know, uh, advertising uh, uh, and so on and so on, restaurants, everyone is experiencing some sort of a small uh, or slightly bigger improvement uh, in, in business activities Many thanks to actually to the st stability that has been uh, achieved, among other things. What's next? And let's discuss here what's next in the short term, because obviously in the long term, we all wish a lot of good things for Ukraine, in, 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 including, uh, you know, rule of law uh, and uh, uh, land reform and so on. Can we expect a land reform in the short term? No, there are no votes in the parliament uh, for that. Let's be realistic. The last survey I saw from 2009, only 9% of population fully supported land reform. But obviously, majority of those that own land uh, support uh, uh, the changes so that they have a right to sell the land that they got as a result of privatization. I heard some of you discuss privatization. Can we expect a newly found uh, force uh, that would uh, take us through the privatization? Realistically, no. If you sell an asset for $100 million, your opponents would say, I would have sold it for $200 million. 
If you sell it for $200 million, someone would say, but this asset was worth at least $400 million. So the problem is that politically, it is a very sensitive period right now. And unfortunately, I do not see privatization as, as, as something really happening in the short term. We obviously need an electoral uh, law changes to get rid of a single mandate district, which is an absolute evil. And this is where all the corruption is starting. But will there be votes in this parliament uh, for this? I uh, strongly doubt that. Then it brings us to the discussion, what can we really expect and where foreign partners can help in pushing uh, for a change? I think majority of those uh, initiatives do not require actually parliament uh, support. So I would mention, I think, six. I can always mention more, but let's stick to six for now. First, reform of state fiscal service. I mean, tax administration and customs, I mean, is notoriously still corrupt and inefficient and not modern. This agency needs to turn not into collecting taxes, but an agency of serving business. I always give an example, an Estonian uh, state fiscal service, and their motto is, we are not here to collect taxes, we are here to serve the business. So the attitude has to change. There's always, you know, who's first, chicken or egg, but I believe that the government has to stretch out a helping hand to the business uh, first, uh, rather than business needs to do something differently from what it does uh, right now. And here, I urge uh, any type of uh, foreign uh, partners to support in, the, in changes happening in this organization, uh, because this is uh, where uh, those changes may have the biggest impact on business activities in the country. Second, uh, government reform in itself, the way the apparatus uh, in the government works, you know, this is like 10 years you know, the management style is 10 years behind uh, the private sector, but uh, Bogdan Havrilishin, uh, in his last interview be before he passed away, called uh, the way the government meetings are structured worse than during the Soviet period. So the whole apparatus is, 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 is absolutely out of date. And this does not require parliament to change. This was the biggest obstacle in our work, where we had to look from the fourth floor up to the seventh floor and, and, and pray that our initiatives end up in the government agenda. And once they end up in the government agenda, that, you know, they're really discussed at the government meeting. And once, you know, um, the decision is made uh, collectively by all the ministers, that the prime minister signs it and, and, and the decree of the law, you know, goes to the Verkhovna Rada. I mean, there are tons and tons of good examples around the world, especially from Canada, that needs to be adopted ASAP. So procedures, functions, regulations, and apparatus simplified, trimmed, and made it easier for, for the changes to happen. Third, public administration reform. There are many, many, many flaws in the current public administration reform, which went through, you know, with a, 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 a lot of uh, uh, sort of a controversy. But the biggest thing is that ministers and public servants still are paid close to nothing. Yet when you disclose the e-declarations, you realize that many of those people are making enormous amount of fortunes on the side. So what I say is that those cheap government uh, servants cost us dearly in Ukraine. So uh, the old system wants to cement the existing setup where there is no monetary, no financial incentive for the agents of change, for the young 
Ukrainians to join government uh, services. So I know Anders has been a, a proponent of that. We need a substantial increase in salaries of public servants, and you can sell this idea to public by drastic decrease of the number of bureaucrats. Modern technology allows that. When I fired 50% of the personnel, I expected uh, demonstrations in front of the ministry. I expected uh, uh, court cases. None of them that has happened. When they saw the first salary slip with a 100% uh, increase in salary, uh, all these people uh, emerged uh, from their cells and they came to me and said, we can cut more. It's no problem, so to say, uh, if you continue to increase our, our, our salaries. Fourth, continue with the state-owned enterprise reform certainly does not require anything more from the parliament because all the necessary laws have been uh, passed there. So push for similar boards as in Naftogaz, especially in Ukrainian railways and in Ukrainian post, for starters. But railways as a key uh, sort of a focus, because railways is one of the largest railway companies in the world, $2.2 billion in revenue, and perhaps a good 30% is uh, uh, lost uh, somewhere uh, in transition. Enormous amount of uh, financial industrial groups have interest there, and it has not really been transformed, even with the new CEO, because he has limited the powers, because the status of the company have changed, giving more powers to the, uh, to the uh, inefficient uh, board, which is mainly political appointees. Fifth, rule of law. I mean, we can talk about war, we can talk about many things, but Every business uh, mentions uh, rule of law as the main obstacle uh, to do uh, more investments in Ukraine. Number two is corruption. So here I would urge and uh, encourage our foreign partners uh, to support anything that relates to fighting uh, corruption. So the two bureaus uh, that have been established and the uh, Agency of Prevention of uh, uh, Corruption, uh, those guys are out in the cold by themselves. I mean, politicians do not support them. Politicians do not want them. So uh, they only have Ukrainian society, the grassroots uh, movement, the civil activists, and the international uh, partners. And uh, as you see today, uh, the most famous rock star in uh, Ukraine, Slava Vakarchuk, uh, sent a letter uh, to president urging him to set up an anti-corruption court uh, in Ukraine, which is obviously an absolute necessity uh, to deal in this extremely uh, corrupt uh, uh, sort of a court uh, system in order to achieve some progress in fighting uh, corruption. And six, uh, short one, continue with the banking sector reform, really remove any remaining doubt that we are going to emerge after this reform with a much stronger banking system than we ever had uh, had. First week after I became a minister on December 3, 2014, Arseniy Yatsenyuk uh, called up all, all the ministers. And uh, he said, look, guys, uh, society and parliament demands a strategy from us, demands a government program for the year 2015. And he looked at uh, me and said, you know these type of things, so why don't you, you know, collect uh, all the necessary ministers and, and just write something over the weekend? Certainly. We were full of energy, very enthusiastic. Obviously, we wrote uh, something. It was a good program. And Anders uh, had uh, a, a, a part uh, in uh, uh, it. Uh, since this was uh, a very promising program, the one that was supposed to change Ukrainian economy and lives uh, uh, for good, 
uh, once and for all. In my view, it was important to call it somehow so that people would remember it and people would be inspired by it. So I said, I propose we call it an icebreaker. A big heavy icebreaker is going through a cold, uh, stormy uh, seas, uh, slowly but confidently breaking a very thick uh, layer of ice, uh, but certain that it will reach a final uh, uh, destination. Everyone agreed. There was uh, lots of nods and claps. And then one elderly, very influential minister said, no, no, I'm against it. It's too radical. Uh, people would only talk about the name and uh, they would not talk about the, the program uh, uh, in itself. Uh, I was disappointed, tried to convince my colleagues that people are more ready for radical changes than politicians are. In the end, uh, they said, you go abroad, use icebreaker.ua, but here at home, we use it without uh, any names. And uh, I said, if we are not ready for radical names, I doubt that we are ready for radical reforms either. And that was, you know, two weeks into my uh, uh, job. This year, uh, the world uh, more than ever before surprised us on multiple occasions, disappointed, uh, but hopefully made us stronger as well. We all, good lessons, we all got a good lesson that less likely scenarios do often materialize. It would be unwise to expect that this tendency would stop. No need uh, to passively expect a helping hand from outside. Uh, Ukraine uh, shall continue its path of transformation, but given all the external uncertainties, should do so with double the effort. Uh, without looking for shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to success. Ukraine is a country of comebacks. Yanukovych had won against all odds post-Orange uh, Revolution. Yulia Tymoshenko is staging another comeback to a huge surprise of many. I believe that young, bright, progressive crowd uh, of now very experienced Ukrainian reformers will get a second chance too. And we have to be ready for that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ivars, for an excellent uh, presentation. And I think that with that, we conclude uh, this conference. Thank you very much for all of you.